Hope Project. On this podcast, we talk about matters of sex, sexuality, sexual shame, purity, and how that all relates to Jesus and God. We hope that through this podcast, you'd be able to recapture the beauty of sexuality. Journey with us as we seek to better understand sex and find freedom along the way. This podcast is a part of season one. If you haven't yet listened to the trailer for season one, I recommend you do that now before listening to this podcast. As with every conversation we have here at The Hope Project, we are simply engaging with the ideas of the person I have brought on. I am trying my best to bring out their very best ideas. Because of that, you may not always agree with what's being said on the podcast. That's okay. But I encourage you to strongly ponder their ideas and how they might help you in your journey out of sexual brokenness and towards sexual wholeness. Today, I have the pleasure of having Jacob Keith join me. Jacob is a close, close friend of mine, a man I look up to in many regards, a man I trust with many aspects of myself. Jacob has a master's degree, a bachelor's degree, and has a lot to say about same-sex orientation, about homosexuality, and the reality of gay Christians in the conservative church today. So I'm excited you guys are here from him. Let's check it out. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have a special guest on today, a good friend of mine, Jacob Keith. And he's going to be sharing a little bit about his journey through life uh, as a man and as other things as well, Jacob. (laughs) Hey, guys, it's good to be here. So, Jacob, I introduced you a little bit in our intro. I gave Mm -hmm. a little bit of your story, a little bit of your credentials. But could you tell us a little bit more about your journey and what life has been like for Jacob Keith in 2019 and in 1995 when you were born? 96. Oh, 96. But January 11th, so I'm only like 11 days into the year. (laughs) Got it. So (laughs) not quite there. But yeah, tell us a little bit about your journey. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start off with where I'm at right now, and then I'll kind of jump back to the beginning. Um, So currently, I'm 23. I'm graduating um, very soon here in the next three or four days with my master's, and then I'm going to go start off my my work life as a youth pastor. And I'm Big time. Yeah, no joke, right? (laughs) Big time. Um, I'm super stoked about it. Um, but to get to this place has been one hell of a journey, I think, to say the least. So, I mean, off the bat, we're here to talk about like my sexuality and what that's been like experiencing same-sex attractions, identifying as gay, um, and a lot of other things along the way. So, for me... Wait a second, wait a second. Oh, You identify as gay? There it is. That's not allowed in the Christian <laughs> church, Jacob. Did, you, did no one tell you about that? You know, I've heard it once or twice in a couple of tweets and a couple of blog posts <laughs> from yes. the Masters University. Some but... from uh, Desiring God, for sure. Yeah. I don't want to talk about Desiring God. I know we did that on another podcast. Desiring God is a great institution, great place, but not the great greatest place for gay Christians. <laughs> uh, but continue on, Jacob. Tell us more about yeah, your Yeah, no, absolutely. So, I would say, for me... Sexuality was something that I was really attuned to even as a kid. Um, so I grew up as an old school Lutheran. Um, so think almost feeling like more sacramental, almost more Catholic in practice than what our normal experiences are of being an evangelical Christian. Um, that was with the faith that I grew up in and really was blissfully fine there, um, kind of until hit puberty. So around fifth, sixth grade, um, things started to change, right? <laughs> Obviously, as yeah. that goes. I was an early bloomer, biggest kid in the sixth grade. By the time eighth grade came around, I was the smallest kid in the football team. Oh, and that was the beginning of the end of my athletic career yep. that I fought to keep. That's for okay. So... Some guys lose it when they're like 18 and graduating high school and they can never let it go. So it's probably a good thing that you She told me what really. that's like one time. Yeah. <laughs> a different podcast. There it is. So for me, though, I was um, – so I went to like the school that was connected to my church for a long time. Um, in elementary school and then midway through fifth grade probably made one of the most important decisions of my life up until today I would say I was in the middle of fifth grade and I said you know I'm gonna go to the public middle school and I'm gonna have no friends because there's five people in my graduating class because it's classic church school right so I transferred to the public elementary school in the middle of fifth grade proud Hopkins hopper well no they were Hopkins Hawks but our jump rope team was the hoppers yeah, I was say that, that ten times fast proud is. Hopkins <laughs> hopper so I was um so I transferred there and then during my fifth grade year I had a teacher named Miss O and um as April kind of rolled around that year we did our sex ed unit right that you kind of do fifth grade sixth grade up all the way through I think like your sophomore year in high school at least in Oregon where I'm from mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it was during that time, all the guys from all the other fifth grade classes, we piled into Mrs. O'Shea's room and we watched about, a, I mean, like an hour of videos a day and she lectured a little bit. She raised three boys herself, was really competent. She frankly did an awesome job. 
kind of walking us through the ins and outs of puberty, body hair, smells, and how to good job, Mrs. O. If you're Mrs. O, if you're listening to this, good job, well done. Yeah, well, well, except for the next part. Um, At the end of it, she gave us this little booklet, and the booklet was basically a summary of information, probably what she got from the actual company that they were contracting to get their materials for the sex ed unit, right? Mm-hmm. And at the end of the booklet, it said, for more information, go to this website. And I did, right? I wanted to get a recap. Also, I think there was a level of, I would say at that point, healthy curiosity about, mm-hmm. I want to learn more. I want to see graphs. I want to see pictures because after all, men are more visual, right? That's right. We are so, visual creatures. That's it. Only that. Trash. <laughs> we are not emotional. <laughs> and I, within one week, two weeks, three weeks after first going to that first website, I was watching full-blown pornography. Man. Um, and I would say within the first two weeks, that was not heterosexual pornography. Mm-hmm. And I didn't quite know what to do with that. And um, to this day, it's kind of haunted me of like, holy crap, did I make myself this way because of the mm-hmm. things I did when I was mm-hmm. 11? Yeah. I don't believe that, but that's something that like haunts me, right? Yeah. Um, so really early on, my journey in sexuality was really tied to a lust, which I don't think it inherently has to be. And thank God it has begun to kind of divorce itself from that. Um, but then going on after that, I think growing up in the church, there was a level of man push that I did not want anything to do with my sexuality. I would, I would go home at night and I would watch what I wanted to watch. And that would be not straight Jacob, whatever that meant. Mm-hmm. And then when I was at school, when I was interacting with my family, when I was interacting with my church, that was the Jacob that was okay. That was a Jacob that was presentable. That was the Jacob that was straight. Mm-hmm. And I was perfectly fine living that double life. I think as a kid, in retrospect, I can say this, right? But as when you're in the moment, that's just your life. You don't think about how am I divorcing different parts of myself? How am I not living as an, integra- as an integrated individual? Mm-hmm. And middle school, that was perfectly fine. Freshman year, perfectly fine. Sophomore year, perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. And then junior year rolls around, Mm -hmm. and I just start to struggle a lot more. Um, During my high school years, had a walking away from the faith for two, three years or so. And, um, yeah, that was not a great time. But even then, as a kid whose parents grew up in the church, right, I didn't have a ton of capacity to actually separate myself from the faith. So I'd say as much as a kid could who was – kind of obligated to go to church at least once or twice a month mm-hmm. I was not a practicing believer in any way shape or form mm-hmm. but still having the separation still having this residual fear of like I didn't leave the church with the expectation of now I'm gonna go have wild gay sex <laughs> like that just wasn't on my radar <laughs> I was angry at God because my yeah. friend died it had nothing yeah, to do with my exactly. sexuality yeah. and frankly my sexuality was such an unintegrated part of me I just had no space to like cope I had no space mm-hmm. to figure out what would that even look like to live with this as a part of my life yeah. so my junior year my senior year I I was, um, yeah, it just got harder and mm-hmm. I started to have feelings for certain people and I just didn't quite know. And it, and they were never strong and I always denied them. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I do, you had to, you had to deny them. It, you couldn't be gay Jacob. You had to be straight Jacob, which was presentable and good. Even though you were in the season of like wanting to yeah. like explore outside the faith, like you didn't, you didn't really have that choice. No. And like, no one ever told me that, right? Yeah. No one, as far as I could tell ever said, Hey Jacob, like you, um, have to be straight if you're anything but that that's wrong but that was for sure an internalized narrative that i had of like dang this is something that's going to hold me back from relationship that's going to hold me back from god and then i think come senior year um when i couldn't live as unintegrated anymore those thoughts of what does the sexuality mean for me what does this mean for my relationship with god for my relationship Mm -hmm. with my family started to creep up at night yep and um yeah, I just remember a couple of nights thinking, like, if I ever own up to this, then I'm going straight to hell. Yeah. That if I ever admit what has been true for my entire life, mm-hmm. then I'm going to burn. Yeah. And it's not even, it's not even like if I act out on this, it's no. like 10 steps before that. It's no. like, even if I just admit that this is an orientation of feeling uh, something inside of me that I have, then I'm going straight to hell. Like it's not, you're not even thinking about like having wild gay affairs or, yeah. you know, dating a gay man or something. It's just even the thought that I am oriented in this way mm-hmm. and I'm going to hell. 
And, you know, I, I would honestly attribute a lot of that to a lack of education I had. Mm-hmm. Um, Preston Sprinkle's a big hero of mine. Um, he's like, um, uh, he's a straight white theologian who has <laughs> been one of the of <laughs> biggest, who has been one of the biggest supporters yeah, of the Christian and non-Christian LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. But his like tagline that I think that at least for me put him on the books was, um, homosexuality is not an, is not a theology to be debated. It's a people to be loved. Yes. But because growing up, whenever sexuality came up, be that straight sexuality, how to not have sex because purity culture or how to basically like or, or anything that was ever talked about in LGBTQ world. It was always a polemic against instead of how do we stand with. Yeah. And there was just a default assumption that if you were in the room, if you were sitting in that church, you were on the same side as straight white pastor mm-hmm. who was talking to other straight white people mm-hmm. um, who and, and all the gay people were like out there. Yeah. Right. Um, there was just and they really... weren't sitting. They weren't sitting in the pews, like wondering, "Oh my gosh, is he talking about me?" They weren't even in the room. Like no. this is a conversation in house for Christians. Like, how do we deal with the heathens? It felt like an in house conversation yeah. that I snuck in the room on, <laughs> yeah. and I would have killed to get out of it. Oh my gosh! It was, yeah. and so that was my internalized narrative, right? Yeah. So I remember distinctly going into my senior year, though I had. Um, I, I was an ASB kid. I was yes, involved were. in you everything an leadership, right? And we went to, <laughs> I hate saying this, we went to a leadership camp with my mm-hmm. like ASB going mm-hmm. into my senior year. Um, and I have always said, and will say to the day I die, until something better happens, maybe until I have sex, um, <laughs> that it was the most non-Jesus-centered re- like religious experience I've ever had, and I loved it. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we did in there was we wrote it's a letter a cult, to ourselves. Really, ASB is <laughs> Honestly, a cult. we wrote a letter to ourselves uh, that was going to get mailed to us at some point in the future. I wrote the letter, and I got the letter April of my senior year, so about a month and a half before I was going to graduate. I got mailed to my house, mm-hmm. and I opened up the letter, and I had forgotten that the first line I wrote was Jacob, comma. If you haven't told anybody yet, you need to. Hmm. Paragraph break. And then on some other stuff, right? <laughs> and it sounded like, so, like, do you have a cool car yet? But it's just, And I was yeah. devastated because the hope I had for myself nine months prior, I never met in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I never disclosed with anyone because um, I didn't know what it meant, right? I had no idea what that looked like going forward. Um, I do. I, I remember I had two friends my senior year who I really wanted to disclose to. Um, and one night we were sitting over, we were at my house, we we're hanging out in a hot tub. And um, I was really like thinking, like, man, I just want these guys to know me. And we can talk more about later, like why mm-hmm. it is that people in this community want to share their story. Because I think it's almost like yeah. that's not always a given, right? Of like, oh, wait, why are you burdening me with your like mm-hmm. scars, you know? Yeah. Um, but I really wanted to share with him. And I remember we were in the hot tub, like one guy said to the other guy, like, man, I just don't get the gay thing. It makes no sense to me. Yeah. And I just remember sinking like lower and lower and lower into the water. And, and as emotional as a, as a high school way possible, it was, I had my nose like right above it. And I'm like, I could just keep my nose under there and just never get up. That'd be fine. Yeah. Right. And well, it's devastating. Like, especially people that like, it's not like some Joe Schmo. It's the people you were thinking like, these could be safe people. I was risking to trust you. Yeah. And based off what you said when you didn't know I was listening, yep, I closed off. Yeah, and yeah, I think I made the right decision, honestly. But it was yeah. devastating. Yeah. So then, going on into college, um, that was when the coming out, the sharing your story, whatever language you want to use, started to happen mm-hmm. more and more. Started out with um, a guy who I had a Bible class with, who I'm still friends with today. Um, then after that, I went to my roommate, a guy named Trent, and shout out Trent. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> bit by bit by bit it was opening up my heart more and more to people mm-hmm. um, and we should probably talk about those experiences a little bit separately because it's just yeah. a longer thing yeah, yeah. but like what it's like to share your story you mm-hmm. know um, but yeah and then bit by bit by bit I started sharing more of my heart more of who I was feeling more fully known and then going into my junior year I joined a group at Biola that was had just been launched that was a, a student group specifically designed to receive not straight students mm-hmm. whatever whatever that meant right yeah. so it was either identify as ssa or experience ssa or identify Can as you explain LGBTQ. ssa and why that's different than maybe other names yeah absolutely so obviously in this conversation there's a lot of language and the language matters right mm-hmm. because yeah. 
what you're dealing with, which I think is different than other contexts and other cultures, is in this, you have you have a group of people, especially in the Christian community, but in the secular community as well, who have had labels put on them for so long and they have never been able, able to define for themselves how they want to be thought of. Mm-hmm. So now there's space and gain for people to like say, actually, you think this of me, but that's not how I'm using my language. I want to use these words instead. And that, it's a power statement, but it's also a statement of like, hey, thank God you finally see me as human enough yeah. to like give me the space to say this, you yeah. know? So um, LGBTQ, right? Um, yeah. lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and then queer questioning. And then mm-hmm. you can add more stuff onto it based mm-hmm. on who you want to include in that statement or not. Yeah. On the Christian end, same-sex attracted is a word you pretty much hear exclusively inside of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, it is what it sounds like. I experience attractions to the same sex. <laughs> and I've used that language, yeah. actually, if I'm interacting with professionals or family Um, (laughs) we can get into that later or we don't have to at all (laughs) i don't know if i'm ready um if with i'll always use that language because frankly it's the safest it makes me it this is not everybody this is just me right but using i experience same-sex attraction it makes me the victim of something that's happening to me i.e i have no control if i could change my orientation i would yeah and it's not same-sex Action. It's just exactly. I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm attracted. attracted. I'm attracted. Exactly. Um, so it's the, safe. Is it safe? The language I'll use more now is I have same sex attractions, mostly because I don't like the um, impl- the implications that come with I experience, and I totally understand understand why people get there. Just for me, it's like I want to. I don't just want to like make it through life by the skin of my teeth. I want to thrive. Right. I want to like experience life to the fullest, which means integrating my sexuality in not a way where I'm a victim of it. But it's something that actually there's an invitation from Jesus for me to thrive in light of it. So I have. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, With close friends, I'll use the language of gay um, because like it's true. And they're not (laughs) going to they're not going to immediately add all the presuppositions of what they might think a a gay Christian. Because a conservative evangelical, when they hear the word gay. I mean, frankly, they think San Francisco Pride, right? Yep. Of like leathers, of like leather and pasties. Um, <laughs> yep. They think like massive gay orgies. Mm-hmm. They think acting on your sexuality in a way that's like physical. Yeah. Um, well, it's 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 almost in some ways it's subhuman. It's not like these are normal people who just happen to be also attracted to the same gender well, as them. That's just it. It's a hypersexualized yeah. view exactly. of people yeah. that if you're sexually deviant which i hate that word but like if you're sexually different or not straight in one area then that means that you're there's an assumption that you're far more likely to be deviant in other areas i.e bdsm i.e super promiscuous i.e full of stds i.e having massive like just like group sex parties you know and it's just that's a really unfortunate thing that i when i first heard the word gay as a kid growing up in the church that was my experience of Mm -hmm. it but if i'm honest it's just it's a bit of an ease thing of like saying I have same sex attractions. It's just too many damn syllables to use mm-hmm. every day. Like, Oh yeah. I'm sorry, but like, I don't, there's more to me than that. And if I say gay, that gives me permission to love Beyonce, which I do. That gives me permission <laughs> to like dress the way I want to dress, which is not super straight. That gives yeah. me permission to wear my nose ring when I want to. That Which he is right now. Which I am right now. It's still fake. I'll get it. I'll, I'll, I'll finally have the balls one day. Um, <laughs> It gives me permission, I think, to honestly love more of myself and invite Jesus to love me there too. Yeah. So college was um, kind of circling that back around, going like into now. Um, it's still a journey, right? Like mm-hmm. I just had this job, and in that job, disclosed this about myself, and that was terrifying, right? Mm-hmm. And so that I'm risking something huge here. Well, yeah. Um, but there's this level of like, but I want to be fully known and received in that way. No, I deserve to be fully known and received in that way. Like as a part of me being made in the image of God and someone who's highly competent, highly qualified, mm-hmm. this is something that I want. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's not that you're scared that the church or someone who's hiring you or even a friend may find out that you're gay or you're same-sex attracted, whatever you want to call yeah. it. You're scared of what that might mean for them, like what their presuppositions are where it's like if they hear that word, they're immediately thinking, can't trust him, sexually deviant, gonna hurt our kids yeah. <laughs> like all these things am i going to abuse their kids but if you could trust um, if you could trust that they had a healthy presupposition mm-hmm. or healthy understanding of what it is mm-hmm. it wouldn't be maybe as scary which is why those conversations when you don't think we're in the room oh but matter. We are, they matter matter so much, so much oh, right yeah. be that in a church context be that on your college floor be that with your family like if one out of ten people which i think is 
like uh, about a fair number, right? Mm-hmm. Are somewhere on the not straight spectrum. Mm-hmm. Then they're in your church. Yep. <laughs> then they live on your floor. Yeah. Then they're, they're in, in the your room. family. They're you know, like, can we just like pretending like this isn't an issue? Pretending like these people don't exist does not help the problem. Yeah. Right. Like I remember my junior year, um, I wasn't there for this event, but like the floor I used to live on at Biola went out to get burritos. And they were kind of like having floor talk. Bunch of college guys hey, getting there. It is. Oh, yeah. And they were having. Um, they had. The, it was called talk about it. So they would go get food and talk about something deep. And the RAs that time picked to talk about like sexuality. And one of the guys said, like, Yeah, I feel like our floor would be the worst floor to live on if you weren't if you were gay. Mm-hmm. I was off the floor at that point, but I had three other friends who I knew were not straight living <laughs> on that floor. And I'm like, You're right. Yeah. And yeah. you think that we're not there. Yeah. And the way that you acted, the way that you included, didn't include us. That, 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 like, obviously, like, I didn't hate my college experience. I had a great time, but it mattered. Yeah. Right? It well, mattered it's, for it's how like, I disclosed myself to you. It's the the dismissal of it's just locker room talk. I'm not going to, you know, coin or name who said that, a president of the United States. Mm-hmm. But it's this idea where it's just like, well, no, we were, we were just joking. It's like, well... Well, yeah, but would you joke if someone would would be right in front of you? Was that, that really what was that offensive? joke rooted in? Exactly. Right. You're saying yeah. you're saying something in a funny way, but it's something that you believe. Yeah. Which I'm glad you have a belief and something intended to harm. It's yeah. just if they're not in the room, then it doesn't harm anyone, and so it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean that whole idea of, okay, well, just be aware of like who's in the room. But yeah. even then. I don't care who's in the room. Like, just be a better human. Like, yeah. be more loving. Like, oh, oh, shoot, I should realize there might be gay people in the room. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm cool for with For people who may experience same-sex yeah, attractions. Yeah, but it's like, and... okay, well, I'm ch- I'm not even chill with you making that joke in private if it's yeah. rooted in malintention and maliciousness. and Yeah, so that's why it's like even like this idea of a locker room talk or just, well, we didn't realize. I'm sorry, bro. It's like, well, no, yeah, but that's, yeah, that's like, not okay regardless. Like that doesn't excuse the behavior, you yeah. know? Yeah, for yeah. sure. So, for those of you who may not know, because we haven't explicitly really fleshed it out, Jacob still holds to a traditional view of sexuality, which, I mean, bummer, we want right? to... <laughs> it is a bummer. Um, we want to add some caveats to that and some greatness. Yeah, totally. When you just say traditional, it, it can bring a lot of, again, presuppositions that we don't think are granted. But he does hold to, generally, that homosexual actions would be deemed not ideal yeah, by God. Totally. Um, I think that's a, the fairest way to say that. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, being in a community at a Christian university, but also in Christian circles, mm-hmm. what has it been like walking that line between you have the affirming gay Christians and the non-affirming gay Christians? So being on the non-affirming side, on the maybe more traditional side, what has that been like, in a sense, talking across the line mm-hmm. to those who are like, Jacob, it's okay. God says you can act out on this orientation. You can do it. What has that been like walking through that with them? What has that been like just in your experience? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the image I would give of that is if you were walking down like the center of campus and you had affirming students, affirming churches that come onto campus every now and then on one side saying open arms, hey, we love you, come join our team. And then the other half you had by all the faculty, arms crossed, students being like, what the hell's going on? I have no idea. And they're just like walking to class anyway. Right. If you had this line. It's like, man, if I want to go in for the hug on one side, if I go over to the affirming Christians, it feels like, um, they're like holding these needles and if i get too close i'm gonna get pricked and i'm gonna bleed i'm gonna hurt Mm -hmm. and it's not my vision for what's the best intent for me is not their vision of is not their vision of what's best for me and that's gonna Mm -hmm. come up really quickly Mm -hmm. and if i go over to the other side there's just like swords drawn out yeah right of like hey like you can come over and be here but I'm not moving my sword. I'm not moving what I'm going to say. I'm not moving how I'm thinking. I'm not moving my nuances. I'm not moving the mm-hmm. things I really think about you, if I'm being honest. Yeah. But you can, like, wiggle in here and, 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 like, stay with us. But don't move too far out of what we're saying or you're going to get cut and I'm not going to apologize for it. Yeah. Either way, it's not a place that I would call home. Yeah. Um, well, one seems like if you go to the traditional side, who are non, non-gay non Christians who are mm-hmm. hold to the traditional view – you have people who like you're gonna feel isolated because yeah. like they really won't let you in. But then you go to the other side, and since you hold traditional view, it's kind of like, hey, you might welcome me with open arms, but I just don't agree that you're gonna help me flourish and what I believe to yeah. be flourishing. So you're kind of stuck, right in the middle where you have swords drawn and porcupines yeah, on, exactly. on both sides. You know, the porcupines uh, may look cute, but and it's hard because it's like for people at least on the affirming position, 
I trust that they think what they want me to do is God's best for yeah. me. Yeah. They want me to flourish. They want me to thrive. They don't want to send me to hell, mm-hmm. right? If we're just being totally blunt about yeah. it. But on the other side, it's like, frankly, where I want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no apology for like, hey, it's like, this is the way our church is set up. Don't expect us to really bend because we don't know how to. And if we did, like, that's that's so PC for, to expect us to bend to like liberal culture like that, yeah. you know. And granted, painting with huge broad brushstrokes. Yeah, here, of course. Right. Of course. Um, but it's not exactly a place where it's like, yeah, like man, I could run up and down, I could fail here, and yep. I wouldn't get cut in the yeah. process. Well, I think that's that's a part of the the traditional side where it's like, you have these people where it's like, no, it's okay to like be a gay Christian as long as you don't act on it. But then what happens if you know Jacob Keith does act on it? You know, in a moment of weakness, yeah. that egregious sin is far worse than you know john youth pastor b over here who's hooking up with his girlfriend every night like he was like oh work in progress we'll work with him lust temptation is hard but like jacob messes we've up all been once. there yeah jacob messes up once and it's like oh man like <laughs> next step is gay orgy parties and it's right. like whoa 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 what happened here yeah like this is the exact same fault in a sense the exact mm-hmm. same sin in a sense sex outside of the design of god mm-hmm. but one is viewed as like well, okay like we'll work with that yeah. you know accountability bro the mm-hmm. other one's like you're done <laughs> like well, and, you're, and you're bad let me paint it like this now thank god being on the tail end pretty much done with like a pornography addiction that lasted a long time right mm-hmm. um with that over i'm still experiencing same-sex attractions yep and it's not me lusting me imaging myself having sex with people it's i want to be with that person because they are beautiful i envision companionship with them my heart yearns to like share a physical connection with them to share an emotional connection um it's not this wild lust thing it's not dang dude if you can just control your lust better then you'll be fine right if you think about the things that like maybe yeah lust gets you into a relationship but it's not what keeps you there Mm -hmm. right it's what keeps you there is the emotional bonds Mm -hmm. so for me it's like the reason where i'm like oh this is a actually a bigger than a porn thing right that like i malformed myself it was the it was the realization of um there is this author i really like named wesley hill Mm -hmm. and he talks about how He's like, yeah, maybe in your 20s, like the biggest battle you're going to have is like just a lust, right? I, I'm lusting after people. Mm-hmm. I envision myself like doing sexual acts, being physically intimate, whatever that looks like. He's like, but really, once you're kind of beyond that, it's when I'm old, who's going to take care of me? Yeah. When you don't um, you don't get the, you know, the Viagra commercial of the old man and old woman sitting in the bathtub holding hands like that's not necessarily a future for you. No. And so it's like, well. Am I just going to be by myself? Like, am I going to be alone? And that is my biggest fear. Mm -hmm. It's, um, okay, well, when I'm 55 and still single, potentially, right? Um, Who do I tell when I go on vacation? Mm -hmm. When I'm going to bed and I'm feeling really alone or I'm feeling angry, who do I talk to about that? Yeah. Um, and when your problem, plane lands, like who do you text? Who when do you, your plane takes off, who do you text? When you just had big news, who do you text? Like <laughs> everyone else who's straight and pursuing a marital relationship. We want to leave the theory, door open for straight people. but has that person. Exactly. Right? Yeah. For me, if I am ruling that out and conservative church is still on one side of the main end of campus with swords out, then that's not really people that I want to text. No. Nope. Like you're being like not kind, right? You're being not welcome. And they don't have space for you because they got their spouse. Yeah. And so. You know, and it's like, and I agree, your spouse should be more important than me. Yeah. But. Maybe. God, maybe. <laughs> but, you know, I really think I'm worth something. I think I'm worth a lot more than what you're giving me. Yeah. But if then if I leave you still screwed yep you know so it's like it's one of those things where it's like going forward my fear is not like if i slip up it's probably not going to be because that guy was just super attractive and like (laughs) you know i just had to like go for it yeah it's going to be because i want intimacy i want connection there i so i have um this is like a personal belief that i would hold and i wouldn't really found this anywhere this is just kind of like an idea i'm playing with so i would say you can be fully sexual and celibate at the same time Mm-hmm. In that, I define sexuality as how me, myself, as an engendered person, like having a gender of male or female, interact with people outside of myself who are also engendered. How do I relate to other men? How do I relate to other women, right? And if, I, if I'm if i experiencing that, if I'm honoring those desires, if I want to be physically close with both, what does intimacy, what does touch look like? 
then that's you being sexual. Any desire you have for intimacy with another person, any desire you have to have a hug from your best friend, mm -hmm. that by nature is a sexual desire, but it's not an erotic desire, right? We attach sexuality to eroticism, I think, way too quick. Yeah. So for me, it's like, yeah, my desires are sexual, but they're not erotic, mm -hmm. you know? And I think going forward, like, as we kind of get older, like, those are the things that kind of take up time and space. Mm -hmm. And um, that's really too bad that, <clears throat> you know, you don't have any good just single celibate models in scripture like there isn't just this one pivotal figure in all of scripture that all of scripture is pointing to that happened to be single and celibate his whole Wait, life joshua like the no, guy who was friends with david they were gay did you know that uh, no jonathan jonathan, jonathan. <laughs> oh not joshua dear church don't fire me but yeah i mean joking aside like yeah jesus was a 33 year old single fully human man yeah so I mean, I think that poses some hard questions for the whole heterosexual idolatry of marriage, which is something we've talked about before in the past, yeah. Jacob, where it's like we see how the church has idolized marriage as like, you know, the youth pastor gets up on stage or the pastor gets up on stage like, man, I just love my spouse. Like, look at her. Stand up, honey. She stands up and then immediately objectifies her. And he's like, look at how hot she is. And it's Smoking like, hot. oh, that's so funny. Good job, pastor. Uh, but it's like everyone's still like everyone in the church is longing for that because it's modeled. From yeah. a, a from stage, from a big point standpoint, where it's like, this is the ideal. The ideal of the Christian life is to be married. When it's like, show me where that is in Scripture. Show me where you have this ideal of marriage, where this is the only way to do it, and this is the only way to be fully human. I mean, fully alive, really, in Jesus. I just... I just don't find that. I, I think there's beautiful images of marriage. There's beautiful realities of marriage. It's symbolism for Christ in the church. But Jesus was single. Paul was single. I don't think we're going to be married in heaven because Jesus explicitly said that. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if that's not the end goal, if that's not the end game um, with Jesus in heaven, then why is that such an idolization of now? Is this is the only way to be truly happy as a yeah. Christian is to be married. And ever being blunt, like, I mean, it's a good gift from God, right? Sex orgasm, sexual intimacy, yeah. marriage. Yeah. It's a good gift from God. It models Christ in the church. But what kills me in that is because there are so few older pastoral models. Okay, so as like a quick aside, so like Wesley Hill, Preston Sprinkle, these guys are in their late 30s, early 40s. Mm -hmm. I have, I know of nobody really who is older than that, who is living a celibate, who's living as a celibate gay Christian man and mm -hmm. or woman. I'm sure yeah. they're there, but in terms of having a platform. Yeah. Well, they that, may be there and they weren't out. And that is terrifying for yeah. me that there is no positive model of how to do the life. I feel like I'm at least in this season called to live who's over 40. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's freaky to me. Yeah. Right. I guess to you're going to make it to 40 and then it's just all going to crumble. To have mentors in my life say like, yeah, well, Jacob, when you change your theology. Yeah. I'm like, what kind of hope is that? Yeah. Right. Like what? Do you honestly yeah. think, like, I get you have your theology, you're more affirming, more open, whatever, but, like, that puts me in a weird spot. Mm -hmm. Like, it's basically you're going to be lonely until you become affirming It's like because there's no other option. Yeah, you know, and even on the affirming camp, there's this other guy named, oh, man, Sam. What's his last name? He is an Anglican priest guy um, who is— I know who you're talking about. I can't remember the yeah, name. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll find it. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, but he has—he kind of ended up on the international spotlight in this topic when the Anglican Church in England, what well, was, was a global church, was voting on whether or not to affirm same-sex relationships or not inside mm -hmm. of their congregation, saying, like, hey, God has this as an okay platform. And he goes up there, and he says, like, one, no— Two, that's me. So don't act like I'm not in the room. Because even you, you had all these affirming theologians talking like he wasn't in the room, right? <laughs> and then, but what he said is like, guys, what you're doing is in like, I mean, he said it so much better and so much shorter. But he's like, what you guys are doing is an idolization of marriage. What you're saying is I can't be fully human until mm -hmm. I'm having sex. Yeah. And that's nowhere in scripture. Yeah. Like that is such a narrow and fr frankly wrong view. Like you're misappropriating what it means for God to be love, yeah. for what the design of marriage was for. And for you to say like, well, it is unkind and cruel of us to withhold this necessary step in life from people. It's who like you're withholding God from gay Christians because they can't get married. Yeah. It's like, that's what it is. It's, it's, it's the peak of Christianity. And you know what? It's marriage. like, let me wrestle with that on my own terms with my friends, but I don't ever want to hear you say that from a stage talking about it for me yeah right um i just i don't i don't have time to hear i don't have i don't mm -hmm. waste my breath hearing it mm -hmm. um but anyway one thing i wanted to bring up was one of the things that wesley hill was talking about was like in that desire for intimacy in that desire for longevity and here's the thing is i think god does have a heart for it i think it's a need that like maybe while 
my friends don't always see. I pray to God that they continue to see. Well, I, I'd say most of my friends see it now, but I pray to God that in 20 years, it's still a need that's seen. Mm-hmm. Um, but even in that, I trust that God has a heart for this. There's a scripture that Wesley Hill really loves. It's in um, Isaiah 58. I'll just read it real quick. He's doing this all for memory. His Bible's not open in front of him right now. <laughs> it's all for memory. I wish. Um, so it's a, so this is Isaiah 56, verse 4 and 5. So this is God speaking prophetically to his people, right? And this is, this is what it says. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me, and hold fast to my covenant. To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Mm. And it's one of these things where I'm like, okay, so if you guys don't know, a eunuch, I don't really know. I think, I think I'm pronouncing it wrong, but I don't it's actually. Close enough. Yeah. Um, someone who, for whatever reason, was in their genitalia disformed or was cut off for service as like a slave or as a, like a high noble in a court or a house or mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. And what those people gave up when they either were born like that or opted into service or by slavery had this like hor- horrific thing done to them. They lost the opportunity to have a name. They lost the opportunity to make people who, when they were old would have to care for them. Mm-hmm. And God's saying in that for me, he's like, what? No, I get it. But like, I promise you, if you hold fast to my covenant, if you keep on with the things that I'm calling you into, like there's hope for you. I'm going to give you a name. I'm going to give you spiritual sons and daughters that could be far better than Mm. the physical sons and daughters that other people Mm. have. Mm. And for me, that's like such hope um, that like, frankly, sometimes it's like, man, because really whenever whenever homosexuality is talked about in the scriptures it's always done from in a negative context it's always done as a don't as a Mm -hmm. prohibition right Mm -hmm. and this is the closest thing i think we have to a positive sexual ethic for someone who would be in my camp Mm -hmm. right outside of things that i think paul says but in the new testament but that's a little different Mm -hmm. um yeah so i mean that's i don't i don't really have a cute way to close that yeah but for me that's something that's like that's my heart so when i tell people like hey i'm gay and they think wild orgy they're so far off from like where my heart is when I'm in a straight, when I'm straight, when I'm in like a straight think, oh my gosh, when I'm in a clear <laughs> thinking and like sober mind, yeah. I'm not wanting that, right? Because yeah. at the end of the day, that's lust, that's sin for everybody. Yep. Yeah. That's well, what I want though. That's scripture. That's what I want. Yeah. I think Jacob, you're getting at, it's like family, yeah, is essential to the Christian worldview, but spiritual family, not like physical yeah. family. And so yeah. when gay Christians who are non-affirming think of like what does my future look like it looks lonely which i mean i think they're right in a lot of senses because it's that's how the be church is set up yeah who's married. that's Just, how the church is I'm, set up I'm, in america yeah that's it but we're saying is that that is not the way it should be no like there should be more of this idea of there's a spiritual family here jacob as a gay man whether married or not yeah. You are ushered into this. You have community. You are known. You are seen. You are welcome. It's not just like a thing we're saying on Sunday morning and then going to our separate married life group that you can't come to, but actually you're invited to the table. Yeah. Um, and we actually have a table that has an extra spot for you. We're not going to make you feel like you're the 15th wheel or something, yeah. but we're actually going to usher you in as you're one of us. Mm-hmm. One of my mentors, I was really moved. Um, him and his wife, and they have three kids, finished recently a – well, this is a couple years ago. He was telling me this story. Finished recently a book called – when the church was family, it was written by a guy at our, at our, at our university. And after that, we're really convicted and moved because his wife's sister was in her late thirties, never been married. Um, didn't really look like it was panning out that way and prayed and thoughtfully considered for like a couple months and opted to call her and say like, Hey, we want you to come in and be the third parent to our kids. Mm-hmm. Cause we want to afford you family. And we believe that the church is family here. Um, she ended up getting engaged and married and mm-hmm. now lives happily ever after. <laughs> but um, just the sentiment Going of like, everything we just right? said. <laughs> but the sentiment of like, man, if more people were willing to risk like that to bring in older single people into mm-hmm. their families, like that's beautiful. Yeah. You know? Well, it's like you have a community as long as you're in your 20s because then we have young adults group where the young singles can all hang out. That's okay. Yeah. But what happens when you're 35 and single? Yeah. Like, are you not welcome at the table and anymore? Here's the thing is I'm pretty confident at this point I can make it through my 20s. Yeah. I'm not sure after that. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, I don't know of anyone could. It's not just <laughs> it's not just gay men or yeah. straight men, anyone. 
I don't know mm-hmm. if you're not married by 30 at this point in Christian culture, mm-hmm. you're practically a loser. I'd push it to 35 at this okay, point. Okay, yeah, we'll I'd say push 35. It to 35. Sure, sure. I've met some really competent and and still thriving 29 year olds. But once they so hit there's 30, there's gonna be an emotional hit. Once they hit 30, it's five years of downhill, and then you're done. <laughs> They'll rebound. I yeah. <laughs> um, so thinking of thinking thinking of the church, things we're both passionate about. Mm-hmm. Uh, the church, I mean, is something we're gonna spend our whole lives, hopefully, serving, being a part of. Um, there's this growing movement amongst churches, and there's this website, I think, called Church Clarity, uh, where basically, oh. uh, I don't know if you've heard of this, no. where basically it's measuring the clarity of a church's theological statements, oh, and it's it's basically for to find out if churches are affirming or not, so that it's safe for gay Christians who are, you know, or not even gay Christians who are looking to check out a church can have confidence going in that it's not going to be like a mirage of a welcoming church where a church mm. says we welcome all people but then you come in as gay and it's like a shun so it's yeah. this website that's trying to gauge how clear are they on their stance on homosexuality and so the question I think I want to ask to you mm. you know you're a youth pastor yeah. working in a church how, do you agree with every church needing to have on their website a clear statement on if they are affirming or non-affirming or do you think that's maybe pushing the boundaries because it, I think initial thoughts for me is that I'm all about clarity. I'm all about it being yeah. clear from the forefront mm-hmm. what your church is about. That like just saying love God and love others is frankly not enough. Yeah, it's not enough. But then at the same time, if, if I say we hold church to a traditional sexual ethic or an affirming sexual ethic, that might be very skewed on what your presuppositions of that is. So it's almost like you need a discourse to really explain like where you land on things. So what do you think about that? I know this is the first time you're hearing about it. Yeah, no, totally. Um, I'm going to give two separate answers. I think one from the perspective of someone who's already really affirming in their theology, who believes that God blesses and ordains same-sex marriages and same-sex romantic relationships, mm-hmm. that website is a needed product. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. That if we're just being honest, like, you're right, there are a lot of fake churches, that, or if we're more honest, there's a lot of churches who still in 2019 have not figured their crap out yet. Oh, yeah, they have no idea where they're at. And like haven't had to embrace it. i think that, that number is dwindling right yeah like but the, there's still praise a, be to law you know it's the kidding. bigger <laughs> like, churches i think that really are getting more and more heat because they're trying to avoid it sidestep it where it's like well we love all people yeah and one, it's one like, of the things where it's like, okay but what is the mean? biggest church in a community like you have a platform right yep. and so if, if you have a person who would identify as a part of the lgbtq community as a part of the queer community like and they want to give god a shot they want to go somewhere where they can still be themselves and there's like from their perspective, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. I think I, I think it's a necessary. I think it's a. I, I I don't love that the website exists, but I agree that it's a necessary yep. thing. <laughs> it's I one of those this, things where it's like, I think this is a really good thing. I have some reservations and hesitations, but I actually think this is a really yeah. good thing that this website exists. I would say on like the what should all traditional conservative evangelical churches mm-hmm. do, being like the wealthiest, largest yep. denomination, even though it's not one in America, right? Um, I'm a fan personally of when churches have internal documents. Um, like Biola has internal documents. Husbands and wives have things that they talk about in private on how they're parenting their kids that they don't ever explicitly say to their kids, right? Mm-hmm. That's just a part of life to have like really like assure that like, just okay, I'm sorry, but like preaching on a Sunday morning is not an insider conversation. Mm-hmm. It's just not. Mm-hmm. What is an insider conversation is having like one-on-one trusted conversations with people who like are people of influence in your community, right? Because I do think it is really important from a church's perspective to have clarity on the issue as, as where they land as a staff and where they land as like a key volunteer crew, depending on how you're running your church, mm-hmm. right? Um, because it is an issue that matters a lot. And it is an issue that has split a lot of churches. And I understand why. Mm-hmm. It breaks my heart, but I understand why. Like, I don't blame anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that internal thing of like, hey, here's where we land. Can you support us in voicing this message with this language to specifically minister to our culture? Yeah. Right. Through relationships. Through relationships <laughs> that with, you have one on one. Not with signs on the corner. Exactly. Or the, like streets, but through relationship. Mm-hmm. So that like in those relationships, can you voice this message and can you use this language? That's marketing one on one. That's PR one on one. And that's good. Yeah. Right. Because the last thing you want is like, well, the church says this, but really here, you know, friend, this is what I think. Like you're ripping up that person's soul. Like, I'm sorry, Mm -hmm. but you're searing their conscience from right and wrong. And you're like either way, leaving a bad taste in their mouth when you do that. And it's not like you're wanting to create a bunch of brainwashed people who just regurgitate a thing. Mm -hmm. Like, but at the same time, it's like you want to show unity um, and cohesiveness. But at the same time, like allowing diversity as well. And I think that's so. This question is not one we talked about, mm-hmm. uh, but it's what I want to ask you. Yeah. Um, so say you have, 
at your church, uh, a young gay couple comes yeah. to you. They're 25. Um, they've been dating for three years, um, mm-hmm. committed to following Jesus, committed to not having sex until they're married. And they say, okay, Jacob, what should we do? We know your church is traditional. We yeah. know it's not affirming. We really like you. What what should we do? You're going to get me fired before I even start <laughs> saying this. Well, I mean, I think the way you caveated that with like, hey, we like you. We want to be here. What do mm-hmm. you want us to do? Mm-hmm. I run into this now, right? I interact yeah. with a lot of students who would hold to affirming sexual ethics. Um, and I interact with a lot of students who would hold who would hold to non-affirming sexual ethics. And when they hold the caveat. Yeah, we, we should define those. When they, well, yeah, I mean, we should mm-hmm. define those. But also when they're when they're holding to an affirming sexual ethic, they're also holding to the the wealth of scripture. They're not, again, not having wild open relationships like this is a committed Most. people yeah trying to love each other just as a heterosexual couple would yeah according to the bounds of scripture they're mm-hmm. just affirming when i think that's in our, our ideal picture of it too where it's like yeah. if you play it on the straight side like if we're being honest really how many people are virgins when they're getting married <laughs> it's a very small very small percentage <laughs> so in that like it's the same thing on the flip right mm-hmm. and yeah i think there is a there's a i think it's a bummer that in larger lgbtq culture there is levels of like acceptance of the hyper sexualization but in long term i just don't find it helpful mm-hmm. um so for that so for that couple though if they came to me like hey what should we do and it was the space to have that conversation i believe firmly that god's best for someone is god's best and god does not he's not secretive about what he thinks is best he's not secretive about what he thinks wisdom is he's not secretive about what he thinks we need to do to thrive in life mm-hmm. and i'm convinced that like the way god calls us to thrive is to live in obedience to him Mm-hmm. And for me, obedience looks like saying no to same-sex romantic relationships that are ongoing and willful mm-hmm. and saying no to same-sex marriages. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, ultimately, like I'm not going to shy away from that because if I say anything less than that, I'm denying what I think God's best is for mm-hmm. them. And just like my friends who are on the affirming side who maybe I feel like if I get too close have like the, 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 have like the pin needles on them, I know I'm trusting that they want God's best for me. Yeah. And if they wanted anything less than that, that's disingenuous. Yeah. Right. Like, so almost more than this conversation, kind of like a philosophical underpinning is I don't buy what's true for me. doesn't have to be true for you. Mm-hmm. I just don't buy it. I think that's crap. Oh yeah. Right. Like, so, but in this conversation that matters a lot, cause like, you know, here's what I think, but I want you to do you to, mm-hmm. to your most authentic self. Like, no. Yeah, it's like I think you know murder is bad. I don't want to equate. <laughs> By no means, I want Let's to equate homosexual actions. That one's a lot more fun. <laughs> yeah, right? with murder, I no way want to equate those two. Uh, talking about relativity in terms mm-hmm. of like morality, but it's like, hey, I know this thing's undeniably bad for you, but go ahead, like you know, maybe it won't be. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of what you're getting at. But I guess a, a question. I don't know. Do you think it'd be a cop out? Say they come to your church. Do you think it'd be a cop out if you pointed them to an affirming church? Still saying everything you said, mm-hmm. like you just said about no. how you talk to them. No, I you don't. don't think it'd be a cop out. Um, cause, yeah, I wouldn't. I would urge them to not go. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, as my friends, as people who I want to like thrive, if they're not going to agree with my ethic, if they're not, if if here's it, this is tricky because there are plenty of like. LGBTQ married couples who are in the churches that are non-affirming because they teach scripture. There's life yeah. there. The spirit's moving. I've heard, I hear these, I hear these stories all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and they recognize like, yeah, this church doesn't agree with me, but I want to be here because I love the community. The Holy Spirit's doing something. I'm learning the Bible. I'm learning mm-hmm. how to like study. I'm learning how to live as a better disciple, as a better follower of Jesus. Which is funny because some churches or some people would say like, well, we don't have space for that. They need to change. But it's like, well, what about the bro who's like coming to your life group same position as all these guys, but he's sleeping around, yeah. you know, buying prostitutes. And it's yeah. like, we're chill with, you know, walking through him with these things, even if he's unrepentant. Mm-hmm. But then as soon as there's people who are way more holy than this guy, mm-hmm. just because we disagree on their sexual ethic, they can't be here. Like, yeah. they're not allowed. Yeah, I'm going to, I would pull the conversation of holiness out of it because I think that kind of like yeah. muddies the yeah, waters. Of course. But who look way more, like maybe moral, maybe. Yeah. Um, who are following the precepts, quote exactly. unquote. I'm so, not saying holy in actual, you know, whatever yeah, that I hear means, you. but I hear holiness you. according to the external markers that we often put on people in the church. Yeah. So, and then what I would say, man, that's good. Um, yeah, it's like if church, sh- church should be a place where you can belong 
and like find community long before you fully jumped on board. And here's the thing. This is like something that I rely back on when it's like, you know, dang, like I have these affirming friends who I love to pieces and they know I love them to pieces. And there's two kind of like, I don't know, things I tell myself in those conversations or afterwards more often that are really helpful. Mm -hmm. And the first thing is like, Jacob, it's not your responsibility in a lot of ways to like save them. If this is a salvation issue, I, that's a different thing altogether, right? Mm-hmm. I have really mixed feelings on it. But, like, Jacob, at the end of the day, like, it's not your job to, like, make them hold the same ethic and the same interpretation of Scripture, even if you think it's, like, authoritative, mm-hmm. that you do, right? Um, to want God's best for them. Like, unapologetically, I want that. Um, but also, so this is the first piece. Like, like, that relationship for me is not a loss if they don't change their ethic or their sexual behaviors. Mm-hmm. Their friendship, the family relationships that we share, what they've spoken to me and how they've ministered to me, those things are not a wash if they don't end up agreeing with that sexual ethic. That that mm-hmm. person and that relationship still has objective worth outside mm-hmm. of where those things land, um, which for me is like just so freeing, right? Because mm-hmm. um, I think about like, well, so Jesus has the title, right, of he ate with tax, collect- with tax collectors and prostitutes, right, and sinners. That was like who, how, what he was known as. In the scriptures, we have like two accounts of meeting with prostitutes and probably three or four accounts of meeting with tax collectors. To get a title like that, I guarantee you he ate, he ate with a lot more of them than what we actually see in the scriptures. And I guarantee <laughs> nah, just one you, or two times, just a couple times. And I guarantee you not all of them ended up agreeing with Jesus. Oh, yeah. But I would also say Jesus didn't walk out of those dinners saying, you know what? I'm going to wash my hands this of them. Failure. This is a failure on my part. No, mm-hmm. you minister to them. You have a ministry of presence. Then the second thing I would say is this, is the Holy Spirit really so small to you that if you actually believe God's best is a traditional sexual ethic, that if God as the Holy Spirit is working and active and moving in that person, that he is not going to change their convictions around, mm-hmm. right? That like you're putting way too much culpability on you mm-hmm. in this sense where it's like, man, if I really believe this is God's best design and this is God's wisdom, if it's wisdom, the world eventually is going to show it. The broken relationships are going to show it. That what their heart craves is going to show it. Mm-hmm. But also Holy Spirit's going to bring conviction. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like if I have that conversation with that couple and they're like moved by it, that wasn't me saying it. That was because that's a highly offensive thing I just said. I'm f- painfully aware of that. Mm-hmm. But it has to be in conjunction with the Holy Spirit doing something in their hearts, moving their convictions, moving what they read in the scriptures, moving what their communities are saying. To say, like, you know what? I think risking this is worth it. Yeah. Um, some people were really good to read on that. Rosaria Butterfield and her story. Mm-hmm. She's a Princeton scholar. Um, lived an active married i believe uh lesbian lifestyle for like over most of her adult life um and then as she kind of got older found jesus ended up leaving that relationship and um now is an incredible writer on things like hospitality but also this is a part of her story and she's married to a man now and then uh, another woman who's great is jackie hill perry in this area Mm -hmm. both people who more than me saying it is a guy who frankly has not been in a homosexual relationship Mm -hmm. they both have and they've navigated those waters and you could probably speak to it more thoughtfully than I could. Yeah, that's good, Jacob. I guess to, to really close out with one or two questions here, I think the, the first question I want to ask, and it's one that I always want to ask when I hear any story of yeah. any type, of any, any culture, any background, is what would you say to yourself now when you were 12 years old? So if you found a 12-year-old boy in the exact same position, a fifth, sixth grader in the exact same position as you, what would be your advice to him? Yeah. I'm saying this as like Holy Spirit or God speaking to that person, not mm-hmm. as some adult in their life saying it. Cause I think telling a fifth grader what their orientation is, is mm-hmm. really damaging yep. <laughs> psychologically. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like, man, what do I wish I knew when I was 12 or what do mm-hmm. I wish other 12 year old boys and 12 year old girls knew when they were 12, when they saw something online and were really scared cause they liked it, mm-hmm. but, it but they knew it wasn't like, right. Mm-hmm. Um, my honest encouragement would be like, you're not alone Mm -hmm. and community is worth the risk. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not going to tell them it's going to be easy. Yeah. I'm not going to tell them that it gets better because there's a lot of times where like it doesn't, you know, Mm -hmm. like the terror I had sharing with my job. Mm -hmm. No one else can have to experience that. And the terror you had sitting in the hot tub with your two friends, like the the terror I had coming out to you three and a half years ago. Mm hmm. No one can explain that, that feeling of like, I, by wanting to share this part of my heart, 
what I'm doing is I'm saying, I want you to know me in a more full way and still receive me. I am risking the deepest thing about myself to invite you into a closer relationship with me because I care about you that much. I want you in my life that much. And for someone to reject that, for the, for the potential of somebody to reject that is a, a rejection of one of the most fundamental parts about us, namely our sexualities, right? Mm-hmm. And that's terrifying. But to a 12-year-old, I would say, like, talking about this is worth the risk. But, I, you know, honestly, I am grateful that I didn't start having thoughtful conversations about this till college. I think that's changing a bit now. Culture's moving quicker. Things are happening at younger ages, right? Churches have to talk about this more, um, like, more than they did even five, six years ago when we were in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a bit more freedom there. But, like, I'm grateful I waited because I know if I didn't wait— um, I don't think I would have had very positive long-term effects if I had people speaking in my life when I was 16 mm-hmm. about this issue. I'm glad I waited to pick those people on my terms when I was 19 yeah. and 20 years old, 18, 19, 20. Yeah. Um, so I would say like risk for community, but like the kind of the common adages of like, hey, this gets better. It's going to get so much easier. You're going to find great people. You're not yeah. going to die alone. Yeah. Um, you're not going to mess up. Like, I wouldn't say that, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I think just for anyone to to tell them like hey find safe people like I think it's just good advice yeah. where it's like hey don't share your heart with everyone don't no. share your story with everyone because your story is worth more than being like basically like prostituted out to the highest exactly. bidder you know like guard your heart which is something I haven't always done well mm-hmm. right but like your heart's worth being protected but part of guarding your heart part of cultivating a healthy life is letting a few people in there to like garden yeah. it with you which I mean even for you being a a traditional gay Christian, non-affirming gay Christian, mm-hmm. like you're going to be looked upon as the token. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> you are a mouthpiece. And so that means you have to even work harder than others. It's like, yeah. how do I protect my story and not just, you know, have these people just grabbing at me? Like, oh, come share it here. Come share it here. Yeah. Come share it here. I was sitting with um, a spiritual director, which is a, kind of like a pseudo counseling thing that Biola offers when I was a freshman. Mm-hmm. And I came out to him. He was probably the second person I think I came out to like ever. And after that he received me well because he's trained to do that thank god um i I told him the last thing i ever want to do is be like the gay pastor Mm -hmm. i'm so much more than that i don't like i don't want it and i think a lot of that was frankly coming out of a place of denial of like this is the thing but like please don't please don't anything but this i'm so much more in this my ministry is so much more Mm -hmm. so much better so much safer easier than this Mm mm-hmm but I couldn't be more grateful now to where I've ended up to like actually be a mouthpiece. And I'm not going to lie, being a trailblazer kind of sucks. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it does in any category, right? And thank God I'm not the first one. Yeah. But to like individuals, I am. To individual churches, I am. Mm-hmm. To my family, I am. Mm-hmm. To like a lot of my friends, I am the trailblazer. I'm the token. Mm-hmm. And that's a ministry I don't want, but it's a responsibility I have to steward well. Yeah. That's good. That's good. So I guess in one paragraph one slogan one mantra what would be your hope for the christian church and the gay christian what would be your hope for how they play out their sexuality and how Mm -hmm. they welcome and how they they interact with one another Mm -hmm. i wish i had a better answer to it i've been thinking about this since you sent me the questions (laughs) Um, because if i'm honest in a lot of ways i feel like the damage has been done for me Mm -hmm. to where the formative years where I thought where I could have needed someone, I ended up having to find myself and like rely on myself. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, that's done. The damage is done. Yeah. My heart would be though for like the church to model more and more of what Isaiah is saying here in this passage in Isaiah 56, that like for the eunuch, which for the person who's not going to have kids, what it's saying. Mm -hmm. Right that the church can participate in giving them a name and a legacy that's going to go far beyond and have far more ramifications than what physical offspring ever could. Mm-hmm. Churches are, are already making doctrinal statements, are already, I think, navigating the conversation with some grace. At least the people I recognize I'm interacting with the churches, I'm listening to the churches <laughs> that are like on the extreme left mm-hmm. of, the, of the conservative, religious, mm-hmm. traditional evangelical, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um I recognize that like I'm interacting with those people, but when I see those people work, I love how they're doing it. 
So now my heart is, okay, so now we recognize that like, these are, this isn't a theology. These are people when you, we've already rec as we continue to recognize, how do we make space for them? How do we not just have marriage as the end all be all right? All these things, the heart issue that's going to happen when I turn 30, when I turn 40, it's not going to be, do you have a good like doctrinal statement on this? It's going to be, how can I participate in leaving a name, a, a spiritual legacy that's bigger and more powerful and more inviting, or even just as I'll take that right. Mm -hmm. As having a biological family. Yeah. That's good. That's good, Jacob. Well, for those of you listening, uh, it has been a joy to have Jacob here in the studio. I hope the things he has said, the words he has spoken, the truth he has shared will encourage you and bless you as you move throughout your life. Thanks for being on, Jacob. Pleasure. We hope that Jacob's words today gave you a hope for your orientation beyond what you could have ever imagined. We hope that you can know that regardless of who you are attracted to, where you place yourself on the sexual orientation spectrum, that you are loved deeply by God and are a complete person in Him. As always, we want to make sure we clarify this episode may have triggered you sexually. It may have brought up old pain, old shame, or even old unhealthy sexual behavior. With all of these things, we encourage you to tell someone about it. Don't keep it in. Don't walk alone. Invite people into your life. In Him. Okay, everyone, that's it from here. And as always, may the God of hope fill you all with joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.